Yeah, now's as good a time as any, I guess. So Dreamforce is next week, right? When is Dreamforce? Today's September 30th. Dreamforce. Yeah, it, it is next week. I mean, I've got people that I've, I've been helping people prep for things. Yeah, 4th through the 7th. You've been helping people prep? Yeah, for sessions and oh. stuff. No one's asked me to help them prep. I feel out of the loop here. Like my, my input isn't as valuable as Do you yours. have any clients that are presenting sessions? Mm. I can think of one or two that probably would be. If if they're not this year, I think they have in previous years. Okay. That's the only reason I had to help people. Just for people doing sessions on things that I've helped build, been on, on the team. Mm. Well, do we want to start with our with our uh, business meeting that we need to have? Yeah, now's as good a time as any, I guess. You need to clear your throat. You sound like Kermit. <laughs> I know. We didn't have to have a guys. Okay, let's get started. That's not fair. <laughs> I thought it sounded that way, but I, th- I thought no one would notice. Thanks. It's kind of hard not to. <laughs> I swallowed weird, and it, it was kind of just, my throat was just not opening back up. I don't know. Mm. You got to get your throat opened up, John, <laughs> so people can hear you. All right, so, uh, we'll, so we need to talk about our plan for next week. So next week is Dreamforce. I say no no recording next week. Okay, and so why do you say no recording next week? I don't know. I just think, I think it's going to be a fire hose of information, and if we want to do a good show, especially since it's our 100th so it, 100th show, 100th episode... It'd be nice to have something a little more prepared and kind of, because our well, thing is always coming down for the hype, not reacting to the hype. And I just, I just feel like if we hmm. let that week pass, we digest the information, we do our research, we can, we can come back and say, okay, here's what we think about what's overhyped, what, what could be valuable. Well, let me, let me pose some solutions to these problems. So as far as the episode numbering thing, next week could be 99.5. I actually don't care about the numbers. Okay, so that's that's one thing. Technically, <clears throat> this one's one hundred because we have an episode zero, so that's technically the one hundredth episode. And as far as having like you know this expert analysis prepared, okay, that's I'm not saying that's expert. Not what we I'm are. just saying I don't I don't know that I can, <laughs> but also be effective on the fly. So, so next week can be the immediate reactions, the you know immediate thoughts. It's like what's our reaction to what we're seeing? You know, talk about what's real, what's not real, um, make fun of stuff you know, do our normal thing. Yeah. But we're going to have at least a week or two after that where, where we are digesting and, and we're finding out more facts. And, you know, the, the army is helping us figure things out and we can talk about that. But that's gonna, that, that'll happen over the course of a month. So you're saying Dreamforce gives us content for a month? Yeah, probably. Mm, I don't know that I want to talk about Dreamforce for that long. Well, we don't have to go that long. See, you're just, you're arguing with arguments. <laughs> <laughs> You're just arguing for the sake of arguing. No, if, it, if it's two weeks, then fine. It's just two weeks. I'm just saying that we don't have to cram all of our Dreamforce discussions into into the one episode. No, I get like that. Next week can be now. If you want to take a week off, I'm fine with that too. But I just think people, you know, will want to hear our our quick reactions, our hot takes. Hot takes to you. Well, assuming, <laughs> assuming people have time to download and listen to it next week, I guess they could listen to it on the plane right home. Yeah, I, exactly. I just, I just my perspective thinking. is. 
I'm, listen, I'm, it's a podcast. They can listen to one. That, if I they know. want to listen on the way home, they can I'm, listen. To it, but if they want to take a week off and not hear about Dreamforce for a week, they, it's a podcast. I'm, I'm kind of exhausted after Dreamforce, and I don't really want to do anything. For yeah, right. Well, who knows? Uh, maybe we should take a poll. And the, does, uh, does Slack do polls? Uh, I have a poll app, but it kind of sucks. I could do it. I could do a different kind of poll and stick it in there. Yeah, we can, or yeah, we can do one like a. Um, <laughs> but we can figure it out. But no, yeah, let's 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 see what people think. I definitely vote for. I, I just don't know why we would not do an episode. I think it'll be fun, actually. And it's going to be a slow fine. week anyway because so many of our clients are going to be at Dreamforce. Actually, I'm I'm gonna, I'm hoping to be pretty busy. I have some people saying. I know, but you won't have as many calls next week. Oh, that's true. I won't. Yeah, that that I'm looking forward to. All right. So we had, we did not make a decision on that front. So well, let's do. It. I, I'm. I mean, I definitely. I don't know. I vote for doing one. Okay. I, I don't know why we wouldn't. I don't. Let's well, say not your so, arguments. So the the community is our tiebreaker. Okay. And by the way, if you are listening to this podcast right now, and you are not part of our Slack community, you should probably think about joining. What? How do you do that, John? How do you join our community? GoodDaySirPodcast.com forward slash community. GoodDaySirPodcast.com slash community. Okay. We don't have to clarify forward slash? Will it backslash work? Only to, only to Windows people. Do you have to clarify those types of things? Only Wow. Only to Windows people. Yeah. Man. Well, just because the backslash for some reason is the default prominent slash, which is ridiculous. I'm used to a backslash. But even well, even worse, and it's by the way, it's only Windows. It's only Windows people who, like, when reading a URL, will call it a backslash. And for some reason, Windows people cannot keep the backslash from the forward slash. It it's just so. Something. So when you say people, you mean like ninety percent of the people out there that use the yes. computer. I'm talking about whatever percentage of people use Windows. Probably I've never 90%. heard a Linux person confuse those. I've never heard a Mac person. It's always Windows people. Linux people. Oh, they'll, they'll the world is the world is Mac or Windows. That's it. Sorry, everyone else. If you screw up a if you screw, if you call some a forward slash a backslash, the Linux guy'll just get up and silently walk walk out of the room, not even say anything. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> kind of like uh, I've, uh, I've walked out of meetings when I got called a resource. Same same type of thing. You know, you've ruined you don't that even word ha- for me. You don't even have to say anything uh, now. Now, if anyone even well, plus uses I made the you word. I made you read peopleware, which really ruins it for you. Oh, uh, yeah. Are we going to talk about that book? We can at some point. I wanted to reread it because I don't think I've read it in 10 years. Well, now I have to reread it because it's been a week. What? Or two. Well, we should, okay, so we should say, well, because we, we, okay. We, I, I don't know if I want to so get So meeting number two. Meeting, uh, this is still a meeting, okay. All right. <laughs> we, okay, what started with PeopleWare, so I've been telling John, hey, you need, you need to read PeopleWare because it's all about, it's really about software development projects is, is the, is the context that the authors come from, but uh-huh. it applies to a, a lot of different things, but besides just software development projects. But the idea is it looks at why, why software projects fail and the fact that most of them fail, and the vast majority of them fail due to people and sociological problems, not, not that some technology uh, if, has failed or whatever. And it really breaks down this idea that you know human humans are these resources that are this that are, that are like module modular resources, right. and it just really lays out these great examples of how failing to understand that 
you know, the strengths of individuals um, can cause projects to absolutely fail. And also, I mean, another, I guess this is, it's a kind of a a win slash fail, but projects that are successful and people don't quite understand why until key people who some people don't even recognize as uh, high performers will leave the project. It can be a single key person that no one really recognizes. Maybe they're not the best developer. They're not what, you know, the smartest this or that, but there's people that can cause projects to just gel. So they, they, they leave and then the project starts performing badly and no one can figure out why because people are failing to recognize you know these unique characteristics of people that you Mm -hmm. cannot just if you're going to be successful you can't just sweep these things under the rug you've got to understand them and that cog mentality that mentality of of um of of optimizing for the steady state it just it's just a it's a failed way to look at projects and then to manage projects anyway so i wanted you to read that book because we i'm sure i've talked about that book for the past 15 years yeah and so you read it, but then we talked about, well, we should, we, should we do like a little review on it on the podcast? But I definitely think we should talk about it. But then the idea was like, well, should we tell people beforehand so people get a chance to read it? Yeah, and then that kind of evolved to, you know, do we do some kind of book club thing where we kind of pre-announce a book that we're going to read and, and, you know, maybe we all just collectively talk about it? Yeah, I guess we can on like on a one-off basis. I just don't want to create any kind of expectation that we're going to like every month we're going to read a book or something. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to hone in on Oprah's territory here. <laughs> hey, it worked for her. She's a billionaire, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, we'll definitely talk about people wear. Yeah, and I just that's one of those books that, and really, I've I got this. I've got a list somewhere. I don't know, remember where I put. it. I think I looked, searched my Evernote. I couldn't find it, so maybe it's somewhere else. But it's basically a list of, and it's it's granted, it's it's peculiar to uh, to my experience, my career. Mm-hmm. But it's like, these are the books that I want anyone who I work with, that I'm going to work with, to have read. Like, if you don't know the basics of things... If, if you don't know my ideology, you can't work with me. No, it's not hmm. even that. It's not mine. It's not mine. <laughs> it's like, it's like I'm... It's, it's all these other people read who, my who have... manifesto and then you may yeah. work with me. Yeah. It, that would be different if I was said, here, <laughs> read my book. And by the way, it's $150. You know, it's the, the college textbook model. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which didn't get cheaper when it went digital. Damn oh, it. not at all. No, no, not at all. But yeah, the things like people wear, that's a big one. Um, Mythical Man Month. Yeah. And then from like a technical aspect, like... Um, the Game of Four is a design pattern book. For software developers, yeah. I mean, and when I say software developers, I mean, I mean career software developers, not mm-hmm. these um, power users, citizen developers, whatever you want to call them, which is, you know, Totally valid thing. It's just a different thing. And and if that's your role, then I'm not going to make you read a bunch of technical things. Right. Um, but the other things totally apply, though. What are some other... Um, so many of these books are these more sociologically oriented books. Uh, Mythical Man Month certainly is one, one of those as well. Um, but like, yeah, the first... I would say the first part, which is like three or four chapters of domain-driven design... It's like an absolute must um, for software developers. Actually, really for anyone. Um, like I had, I forced my wife to actually following up on that. I'm not sure she actually read that. I know I've asked her to like many times. I'm like, <laughs> did you read the first three chapters of Domain Driven Design yet? If not, go read them and then we will finish this conversation. <laughs> I cannot talk to you until you understand these concepts. So, so what are and you guys? In, are better, you guys in the kitchen trying to cook something no, and she doesn't take the instructions right? And you're like, did you read that book? Well, and if I, I can was, tell you didn't. If I was a better teacher, then I would just try to directly impart. You know this, but I'm not. I'm not a great teacher, so 
all I can do is say, you need to read this. So we have a baseline communication level here. Mm-hmm. So we have this shared vocabulary. I mean, if I start talking about, you know, bounded context and um, ubiquitous language and things, if you if you don't haven't if you don't know what those means, then we can't have what we don't we can't have a shared communication here. We can't have a, a conversation at the level that we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've got a whole list of those somewhere that I I don't know. I feel like it's one of those I'll pull out and I'll add every once in a while I'll add some some things to it, but. That'd be a good list. We could put yeah, on, exactly. Yeah. We could put it on the website. Um, another one that I make people read, if they're gonna if they're gonna be have any access to source code repository, is the first three chapters of um, the the online the free the Git book that's at you know Git's w- website. Mm-hmm. It's like the first three chapters, which are let me let me look those up real quick. It's just like the basics, but. Um, there's there's been examples when I'll I'll be working with like us like a, take a Salesforce project for example where we've got um, you know each developer's got their own sandbox and there might be even be a sandbox that someone who's not a developer but they're doing a lot of config work that they own right mm-hmm. but so now but they need to know how to Push get, get exactly in. and how to and how to keep their sandbox how to merge changes and keep their sandbox up to date on and all that yeah it's the first three chapters I think so you know getting started number one uh, get basics is number two. Um, what's in that? So that's like just getting a re- repo, you know, committing things, un- undoing your changes, working with remote repositories, tagging, and then number three is Git branches. So how to branch, how to merge, probably rebases it. Yeah, rebases and then remote branches. And that's it. If you re- if you understand those first three, at least we have a starting point. You're going to need help, mm-hmm. right? You're going to get yourself into some situation and get you like, oh my god, how do I get out of this? Right? I'll help you with that. That's fine because it takes time to you know to to. I mean, Git's got a pretty steep learning curve. I mean, it's very powerful and it's kind of nerdy. It's it's pretty low level. Well, maybe by default, it's all command line unless you buy yourself a fancy little tool. But even a fancy little tool, like you actually still need to understand what's going on. Because if not, it's going to bite you. Because the, the terminology ass at some point. still mimics what the what the CLI is trying to do, yeah. and it's just. And I'm not against some of those tools. Some of the GUI. I mean, I use uh, what is it? Git X mainly just for visualizing branches and stuff. That that's my main reason is visualizing, and, and a lot of them will do some diff comparison as well. That yeah. visually, that makes it easier. Yep. But yeah, the first three chapters of that book that's that's pretty much critical for you know anyone that works on a project with me. <laughs> I know I sound like an old man like this. <laughs> I'm always self conscious about that, but you know, get I can't off help my it, lawn to read this book. I mean, I just like you know I've been doing this long enough. I know what it takes to be successful. At least that. At least. There may be other ways to be successful, but this is the way I know to be successful. Yeah. Okay. Um, what? So, what do you want? Let's start digging into stuff. Uh, uh, I want. I want to pick this one apart really quick because I don't want to spend too much time on it because um, it's not going to happen. Salesforce buying Twitter. Not going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. No one does, and and. Well, some people do. I've I've saw some articles that says that why. Okay, no one but Kramer thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> um, I I saw plenty of articles just saying it's it it's not a good fit. They don't even have the money to spend on this type of thing, and it would be some kind of they just they don't have what it takes to turn Twitter into something else. Yeah, or something viable for business, or even to. And and because that's the only path for it with Salesforce, I don't, I don't know that Salesforce can continue to make it a front-facing consumer thing um, 
because they've Twitter has kind of already failed at that in terms of being able to drive revenue with ads and everything else. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a whole lot of aspects to this to this thing. Um, one of them that's just obvious to me is culture difference. Um, you know, Salesforce. You know they've they've got they've got generally and an, you know, an enterprise software culture, especially at this point. Because that's what they are. They're an enterprise software company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, buying Twitter, which is Twitter is not, Twitter is a, a the, the probably stereotypical San Francisco dev shop, right? And it's, it's for, it's a, and it's the ultimate, it's the anti-enterprise technology. It's total consumers. I mean, well, I mean yeah, think I mean, about that's... Twitter, 90% of, People and the posts on Twitter are absolute rubbish, right? I mean, and it, that's who that's who Twitter is basically caters to. That and dumb celebrities. And yeah, but, but I mean, that's the nature of the technology. I mean, it's 140 characters of just instant dump, brain dump. Exactly. And that's not always, you know, that's not always a Shakespearean quote or something. It's it's usually you know pretty dumb stuff. Yeah, my my point of those just I mean just the, the cultures are couldn't be more 180. Offer me right, and it, but I think the other aspect is okay. So, what benefit is Twitter to Salesforce? It, it can't be a data stream if we're saying that it's just these random thoughts that people have. There, there is some aspects to it where you can ping a company for support and you can have those type of conversations, but that's kind of the fringe of it, I would say. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there there actually is a lot of value there. I mean, that's why things like Radian Six, um, and I think doesn't didn't Buddy Media do that? I think they basically, you know, there there are these systems that that are scanning Twitter constantly and looking for, like if you're Procter & Gamble, right? You've got, you're using all these tools that are constantly monitoring Twitter. They're, they're looking for problems. They're looking for things they can promote, all the sentiment analysis. And there's probably, you know, I bet there's a lot of AI stuff going on in that area. Yeah, but that, that, that only exists because people are there in that community. Right. Consumers are there using it and therefore it's easier for them to say, well, I'm already here. Let me let me ping the company and tell them I have this issue. I do that all the time. I did. It's some, not like someone's yeah. going. I have an issue. Let me actively go and get into Twitter and do this because that's what it's for. That's not. That's not it. I've done that too. I mean, I can get. You know, I've had Salesforce support create cases for me and things through Twitter. Because I'm of just Twitter. saying that's They'll not that. why you have a Twitter account. You didn't no. get a Twitter account because you wanted no customer support. But because we're there, that's why they're there. Right. I mean, you have to go to where people are. Right. And I. I so just, that's valuable for. <clears> I mean, Salesforce. Think about. Think about it. Salesforce sells their what's it called the marketing, not the marketing cloud, the so the social what's it called the social something mm-hmm. um, lab. No, what's it called the social? It's uh, not the social cloud. It's studio social studio. Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't either. But whatever their social thing is, I mean it. It is basically. I mean they're making money based on on selling a uh, Salesforce makes money selling a tool that's meant to work with Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. So they so they make they make money because of Twitter. So there's there's somewhat of a tie right there, but I think the the issue with Twitter is they're they're in a position where they're probably well I'm 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 not an expert on this, but I'm going to say my impressions are that they're selling because they haven't been able to prove their business model, they're not doing too well, their stock price is low enough that it makes it ripe for for acquisition. Right. So whoever buys them, either either is buying them for IP and technology, or they're buying them because they think they can turn that around and make it a viable product that makes money. I, well, no, and another thing I thought of earlier when this was happening was this is also a way for Salesforce to get a lot of its smart engineers back. A lot of the, a lot of really smart engineers left Salesforce 
you know, over the past few years to go to Twitter. I mean, other places too, but Twitter was a big target. Left for a while. Twitter to do what though? No, no, left Salesforce to work at Twitter. I mean, I can, I don't even want to name any names, but I can, I know people. Off the top, God, my screen is just flashing. This is so annoying. No, I, me- I remember some of the some of the higher execs were some of those that did that. Yeah. Um, God, who was one of the higher up ones? I can't think of the guy's name, but um, another smart engineer, um, like Pete Pete Morelli, who went to Twitter. What was the guy's name? Who was like this? He was like a development manager, like a CTO almost of. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, left and went to Twitter, but anyway, I mean, they could you know they they could get not only those people back, but I mean all of others, all of uh, Twitter's other smart employees. Um, but yeah. the, 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 again, the problem is is you know that it would cost them ten billion dollars, and it's it'd be a it'd be a the problem is it'd be a big dilutive transaction. I mean, it would immediately Salesforce would be even losing even more money because Twitter loses money, right? right? But as far as the firehose, the the data stream that Salesforce uses for its social studio product, I'll just call it that because I don't know what it's called. So they already have the they already have the firehose. So there are, I don't know how many companies have access to this, but um, Google used to. In fact, you, you remember you used to could search. Uh, it was like Google Live or whatever. They would include like basically live. You could search Twitter basically right through Google, but they don't have it anymore. But hmm. Salesforce and a number of other companies have that firehose. I mean, Twitter just it has this you know massive pipe where they're feeding the the full thing. To Salesforce on a real time basis, right? So they've already got that. So it's not you know, of course they have to pay for it, and I'm sure it's expensive, but it's uh, probably a hell of a lot cheaper than actually buying Twitter. So that, that's probably not really not an argument to buy them. But you know, Twitter is in the center of like the zeitgeist. I mean, every every political candidate's on Twitter, all of the celebrities, you know, sports people, um, NFL. You know, think think of all the commercials and TV shows and news anchors and things. Everyone's got their their at username on there. Everything's every TV show has hashtags. I mean, that's 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 in the mind of a lot of people, right? Yeah, and I, I guess from a high level PR perspective, I mean, it certainly would elevate Salesforce that much more in terms of yeah. name recognition and, and things like that. And Benioff loves these things. I mean, he you know he wants to be either the next Steve Jobs. He wants to be the next combo of Steve Jobs and Mark Zucker. If you could combine those together, that's who Benioff wants to be. All right. So let's talk about the controversy of Twitter in terms of censorship. So so I've I've seen a few tweets, or I don't know if they're tweets or Facebook posts. I don't remember where I saw these, but I saw a few of them. You know, when it came to buyout rumors, everyone's looking at whoever buys them to fix the the harassment that occurs, or or you know, to be able to censor people on Twitter. Do you think because Twitter has kind of become controversial in that perspective that a company like Salesforce should even consider getting into that game? Where the well, expectation is yeah. they're going to have to fix this and get into censoring and deal with these type of political issues even more. Which I feel is well, that, a big that'd distraction. That'd be easy for Benioff. He'd just censor any, any Trump supporters. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just saying in general. I mean, we, I, I've, I've kind of been vocal that I don't think Salesforce... I, I think it's fine for Benioff to be political and, and to, to have his views, but when he brings the company into it, I feel that's kind of risky. Um, however, Benioff's perspective, from what I understand, is that this is a new kind of company. This is a company that's very socially active, that does this thing. This is what this company does. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah. I think that is a that is a problem. Well, it's been a problem for Twitter because they don't, there's no great way to solve it. And, they, of course, they've got a ton of criticism because supposedly people, you know, well, I mean, whatever. Because of what's happened on Twitter and, and the accusations about the harassment and, and whatever else, and the accusations have been that Twitter hasn't done enough about it, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, 
every time you censor anything, you're going to face a backlash about that because it's like, well, that's just your opinion. Like, I mean, what, of course, Twitter's a private service. They can do what they want, but people generally view it as a place that, you know, whatever your opinion is, it's just somewhere to just shout into the ether. That's kind of what people do. Crazy stuff on all sides of the political spectrum, you know, just everything. You know, where do you draw the line on what you censor? And that's not a problem they have to deal with today, really, in terms of, of a company. I and mean, their their business is selling business software, and the data that gets put in is the company's is their client's data. They're not actually having to actively police this communication medium. Yeah, I don't know. This bores me. I just don't care about Twitter. Um, yeah, I don't want to spend too much more time on it. Well, we're done with it. But yeah, I don't think it makes any sense. You know, you saw what Wall Street thought of it. Yeah, I, I did. They're, what is this? A week. Or two weeks later, and their stock price still hasn't rebounded from the bad news of them potentially buying Twitter. Yeah. Well, speaking of buyouts, let's 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 segue. Okay. Uh, so I saw an article. I think it was today or yesterday that was published that Salesforce. I don't know why this came out because apparently the deal's already done. It's gotten approval from from you know all the major reg- regulators across the world. That Salesforce is uh, wanting to press regulators to block the Microsoft LinkedIn deal. Yeah. So how do you categorize this? Um, probably as... Did you see ben, uh, Benioff's tweets? I didn't see his tweets. Was um, he tweeting about this specifically? Yeah, so one of them, he says, uh, I, I hope the FTC and uh, whoever this vestiger, I guess, they, I don't know who that is, uh, the European regulator maybe, have an opportunity to read the anti-competitive bundling plans of Scott Goo, which is Scott Guthrie, against rivals. And then he says... Amazing, Scott Goose says, Microsoft to use LinkedIn data for anti-competitive bundles and denying access to access the data to rivals. So (laughs) I guess Benioff thinks that LinkedIn should be required to sell their data to whoever Mark Benioff wants them to sell it to. Mm. Well, I I think it's just another way to... Well, and maybe he's focused on EU because from what I read in the article, US, Canada, and Brazil had approved it and I think EU is on the... Is probably next to to weigh in on this. Yeah, and, and the the EU is they're they're always the most. I don't know why they like to swing their I'll just say their weight around. Mm-hmm. They really like to let everyone know that they they're they you know they're, they're always they're, it's the last checkpoint for any deal because the EU just loves being so strict on you know what businesses can do. But I mean, I mean, maybe Benioff's take, or you know, Benioff and Company's take on it is maybe we can get this to block, and maybe that can op- reopen negotiations, and maybe we can do another bid. I don't know. Well, I've read a lot of the sentiment about Salesforce's position on this, on this and and it's it, it you know the most common thing I see written is sour grapes. <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know, what what do we we, we got to give Benioff a nickname for this? I was thinking either Winer in Chief or or Chief Tattletale. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just. I think it's just doing CEO okay. stuff. So listen, this is okay. I'm, I'm going to read read this to you about what he's saying. Um, I hope the FTC has an opportunity to read the anti-competitive bundling plans of Scott Guthrie against rivals, and he provided a link to this long like interview with Scott Guthrie. And I'm going to read you the uh, the. I've went and read the whole thing, found the parts that he, where he, they talked about LinkedIn. Okay, now tell me if you think this is anti-competitive. All right. As the FTC defines anti-competitive and and antitrust. Okay. And the exciting part, we've announced plans to acquire LinkedIn. It's not complete yet, so 
kind of all the standard caveats there. But the interesting thing, assuming regulatory approval and all the the right caveats, Zach wants me to say the signal that you get from a professional graph, say from LinkedIn, where you know who knows who, uh, each other, you know the relationships, you know their skill sets, you know who they worked with in the past. The insight you get from a sales reps or customer service reps inbox with Exchange and what we have in Office 365, the insight you get from someone's calendar and even with Skype and all of their phone and communications and IM traffic You take all that together and you have a cloud that can do deep insight and analytics and machine learning and AI on top of that. You create the ultimate selling tool, the ultimate customer support tool in the industry because you have so much insight that can assist a sales rep or assist a customer service rep that no one other vendor can provide. And we're very excited in terms over the next year or so to make that reality come to market. And you'll see a lot more announcements and demos of that type of technology even in the next couple of weeks. There is literally nothing in in there that would trigger any kind of anti-competitive. He didn't talk about, you know, buying the world's data and not not letting anyone have access to it. It's just, it's, he's really whining about, he just, I mean, it it really makes him look, this really looks like sour grapes. He's still bitter and he's whining about it. I I guess. I I think he's just doing the CEO thing when it comes to trying to, trying to, you know, throw some shade on this. I don't know. But, I mean, LinkedIn's data set, I, I didn't even think of it from that perspective when Microsoft bought it, is, is as an input to machine learning. I mean, that could be a big deal. I mean, if that's, if a, that's sell- a lot of data. Oh, yeah. That, 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 but if Salesforce had, had successfully acquired LinkedIn, do you think they would, uh, should they be forced to, to give LinkedIn's data to everyone? It's, no, it's just no weird. I, I think Benioff would it's laugh just, and say, haha, sour grapes. Exactly. <laughs> But imagine if they were able to it, and they were able to, to stick Einstein on top of it and do some machine learning on top of it. That that would make that would make that tool extremely powerful. So I think I've got another quote. I think this was what's his name? Is it Norton? What's the, what's their lawyer's name? Norton or Burke, Burke Norton? That's his name. Um, he says uh, he argued the deal would hurt competition by giving business soft by, by giving Salesforce's soft business software rival. Too much control over the social networking company's vast pool of data. And my point is, yes, exactly. That's that's why they bought them. Yeah. I, I guess I guess the argument that he's trying to make is that this data should be more he's, accessible. Like he should, you know, there there should be an option for him to kind of buy and plug into the system. But I think Microsoft's take maybe this happened behind the scenes. Maybe. Microsoft said, hey, buddy, I heard you bought LinkedIn. Congratulations. Um, how about a little pipe into some of that data for my Einstein product? And they were like, uh, no, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're keeping it to ourselves. This, this is just an example of if you can't win on Main Street, you win. You try to win in the courthouse. But really, I mean, what we're talking about when we say LinkedIn data, that's our data, my data. I put that data in the system. Now now someone else owns it. Go read the agreement you signed I know. when you put that data in there. I, I, I wanted to get into this too. I don't know if it's even worth it, but shouldn't I be able to go into LinkedIn and say, delete everything? Get rid you of probably me. can. You probably can. I hope so. I, there, there are plenty of applications I mean, where I want before. to delete something. You didn't something. care before. Why, do you, why would you care all of a sudden? Because now it's Microsoft. Maybe I'm fine with LinkedIn. Okay. And maybe well, I don't like Microsoft. Go delete your account. I, I'm, I'm just That's speaking hypotheticals. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, delete your account. Guess. That, tell me, this is another quote from Burke Norton. Tell me if you can find out what's wrong with this. All right. We intend to work closely with regulators, lawmakers, and other stakeholders to make the case that this merger, 
<laughs> it's anti-competitive. I guess that makes sense. Now that I read that again. To make sure the merger is anti To make the case. Yeah. Oh, know. to make the case yeah. that this is... Okay. Um, Microsoft responded by pointing out that the deal had already passed regulatory muster in most countries, and it's Salesforce, not Microsoft, that dominates the market for software that handles CRM, a market in which LinkedIn's data may help Microsoft compete against Salesforce. You mean Salesforce? I mean, Microsoft's got such a small piece of the CRM market. How could they possibly? How could this possibly trigger antitrust? Right. It makes no sense. Um. Here's, here's from Microsoft's chief legal officer, Brad Smith. We're committed to continue working to bring price competition to a CRM market in which Salesforce is the dominant participant, participant charging customers higher prices today. I mean, it's almost like the case of, you know, Mark Benioff's out there wagging his finger. He's pointing his finger, not realizing he's got three fingers pointed back at himself. Hmm. Thou doth protest too much. <laughs> uh, to me, it's just drama. Drama, drama, drama. Yeah. It is fun. I mean, it's uh, seeing, seeing Benioff, you know. This is our soap wine. opera. I know. This it is. is our soap that's, opera. That's the drama. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> we'll get an evil Benioff with a goatee. So I tried to go through, because um, we talked about a little bit about the Oracle stuff last week because they had an open world. Um, Man, it's just well. First of all, it it seems strikingly similar to Open World from a year ago, but it's just it's just so boring. And man, uh, I feel like Larry Ellison's just getting worse. His he's just hmm. he's he's he, they didn't do a good job. I just and I just listened to some of the keynotes, but he gave a, he gave a couple, and then uh, Mark Hurd gave one, and Mark Hurd did this thing where. He did he you know he's trying to make some point, and he did decide to do you know I'm sure they planned this. But a live poll of the audience. And so they, you know, I think had to send an SMS text to vote for something. And hmm. that's kind of risky. And it is. And it totally backfired because he was trying to make a point that either, like, you know, is, um, is Oracle going to, you know, have a shot at, you know, beating Amazon at the cloud business? And, and basically, like, the first three options were positive for Oracle. And the fourth option was D, none of the above. And like 80% of people texted in D, none of the above. <laughs> and so he had, to, he had to laugh it off and try to make, you know, like, like they were just giving him a hard time being funny or whatever. I'm like, maybe they actually believe that, Mark. Wow. <laughs> I know. Margaret. Mark Larry. Mark Hurd. Yeah. Oh, Mark Hurd. Okay. He's their, one of their CEOs, I guess. Okay. He was the one that was HP, at HP that then he got, there was some harassment thing or some sexual Controversy and they, uh, HP fired him, and then I don't Oracle picked him up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was pretty boring. But um, one thing I did want to talk about was they announced um, a uh, like a low code, a new low code system, which I guess I'm trying to think of what what else. I guess the Salesforce platform is considered low code. Yeah, parts. Of, yeah, I guess. Yeah, parts of it. I mean, <clears throat> I think they're in that category kind of I mean for a for a platform it's, well I'm not even sure if Salesforce is considered a platform as a service but if you consider force.com a platform as a service then it's of the low code variety but anyways so far Oracle has, is calling this project visual code <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but boy they're they're it's funny because it's pretty obvious they're taking a, a, a swipe at Salesforce with this um, so no that, it, it 
if they were, they'd be like Visual Oracle or you know, uh, something like Visual Code, Visual Force. I don't know. <clears throat> Seemed kind of similar. So th- they say it, it introduces an effective way for business users to innovate in tandem with IT. So business, it's a way for business users to innovate in tandem with IT. And business, these are business users. These are the, you know, like Salesforce admins. That's what that's who they're talking about. I think that's the, that type of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it enables business users to extend and enrich off-the-shelf applications and build new solutions that can increase business efficiency and drive better results. Um. And again, this AD&D, I don't even know what that is. More than ever, AD&D pros must obsess over their user interface designs. Uh, today, customers and employees expect to access applications from a wide, wide range of devices, putting additional pressure on developers. Low-code vendors employ familiar drag-and-drop WYSIWYG techniques to speed user interface creation. And that's from a Forrester person who wrote um, some report called the Forrester Wave Low-code development platforms, Q2 2016. I guess there's, I guess they do a magic quadrant on that. Oh, wait, that's Gartner, sorry. Uh, the report goes on to say that many vendors support responsive designs, which automatically adapts forms and UIs based on the user's device and screen resolution. So anyway, but with this project, Visual Code specifically, customers will be able to utilize a library of responsive user interface components. Does that sound familiar to anything? Uh, and complete applications made available in the Oracle Cloud market, I mean Marketplace, um, to add features that can be embedded directly into their own applications, environments, or even existing Oracle Cloud applications. Minimal coding, uh, intuitive visual design. Oh, here we go. Business users and citizens developers. <laughs> what? <laughs> can, eas- can easily create <laughs> the applications they need on their own with little to no involvement from their IT department. They say it's best on standards, though, which is uh, definitely a 180 from Salesforce. And I would question that. But, I mean, when it comes to tools, it's only as good as the interface that's provided. Well, when people say things are standards-based, like, for example, arguing that Lightning is standards-based, okay, just because you can use some JavaScript in it, that doesn't mean it's, like, standards. Like, I can't take my... Well, maybe you could, actually, because Aura... I guess Aura's not a standard, but it's at least somewhat open-source. Yeah, but, I mean, even, even, even applying the standard doesn't mean that it's implemented well. Oh, that's true. I mean, I would say Lightning could, markup for all the interfaces and components is way too wordy. It's got way too much going on. I really wish it was more simple. Especially when you compare that to like Ember and Angular and some of these and the other just basic templating stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, we got away from table okay. We've gotten away from tables in terms of layout in the world, but man, did we go heavy on divs. Oh, div help, I am yeah. so <laughs> sick of so many divs. Divs all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Hang on, got a quick pause here. Where was I? Um, hmm. Standards, yeah. A rich ecosystem of modular user interface building blocks as well as complete application. Wow, this really repeats itself. Oh, and they specifically mentioned Lightning. Visual Code's advantage over Lightning is in extending applications with users able to integrate with third-party data from sources like Facebook or Google Maps. How is that different from Lightning? I don't know. You can't do that with Lightning. You can't do that with Lightning. <laughs> um, I don't know, John. Can you? It's it's all a web service and the back end or something. It's it's 
I don't know why these guys like to paint this thing. Is it some some new thing they developed that does something brand new? And we're all dealing with the same HTTP protocol that everyone else is dealing with. I'm I'm pretty sure it's, John. It's you can't do get, this with Salesforce. It's, it's push, get, post. That's what we're dealing with, people. There's nothing new. No, oh, I don't know, man. Oh, okay. And Salesforce educate me. Well, think of all the think of. I mean, think of Apex and just that uh, that entire proprietary stack of stuff. Like that's not standards based. It's still, it's still page postbacks. It's still. You're, you're talking about uh, the super low-level transport mechanism. Yeah. But the way you build apps, the interfaces you must implement, the whether it's from batchable to anything else, I mean, it's all it's all standards there, man. Okay, yeah. They, they enabled a pattern that I can run on their server. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. You're being sarcastic? I can't I don't, I don't know no. what I'm being. Okay, no, neither. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I hate the way they paint this picture. Is that there's this brand new technology that they somehow developed and invented when it's really just the same old crap. They're just branding it and making it seem like this whole new thing that's going to change your life. Well, Visual Force is still Java server faces. Well, you're just proving my point. <laughs> it's all the same technology we've been using for 10, 20 years now. Yeah. Let's see. Um, how old is Java server faces? Do you know? I don't know. I'm not a Java guy. Let's <laughs> see if I can find the releases. But if you ask me how old a, uh, uh, ASP is, I still wouldn't be able to tell you because I don't keep track of that stuff. How old? Oh, here we go. Java Server Vices is 12 years old? Yeah. It even there. I mean, it, it's co-opetition. I mean, you have Java, Java Server pages and you have Action. Was it? Is it Action? Active or Action? What, what is ASP? Active Server Pages. Active Server Pages, yeah. Well, funny thing is Salesforce built on a standard. They built on Java server faces, but they concreted over that standard with their proprietary stuff. <laughs> it's good. Hey, if it's good enough for them, it should be good enough for us, right? Right. <laughs> no. I'm just saying, I mean, we get excited about getting a new feature but or then relaxing. nothing! <laughs> then, then relaxing. Get proprietary. <laughs> then relaxing the limits and we get all excited. And we're yeah. like, oh, nothing new. We're just getting, we're just finally able to do it in this environment. So I've been doing some TypeScript. Because I'm finally starting to upgrade some things to Angular 2. And, I, nice. and I, I played with TypeScript a while back. I think it was when Angular 2 was in early betas. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, okay, there's going to be things that are actually using uh, TypeScript. And uh, I remember thinking it was cool. I was like, oh, this is actually this, uh, looks pretty nice. I mean, it's like, yeah. it, it almost, it basically looks like they tried to take most concepts, whether it's generics or lambdas or anything else from from like a modern Java and build those into, and not to mention ty- actual uh, static typing. Right. That's the, I mean, the, that's, that's the, the most obvious thing. It's the typing. Yeah. I don't even know if it's the main thing. It's, it's the most, probably the most talked about thing. Well, it's, it's, it's what it was named after. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a lot more to it. I mean, ty- TypeScript is actually a pretty big language. I was surprised. Its surface area is quite large. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> something you're going to learn overnight. It, yeah, no, it's, I, I, I don't really know it at all, to be honest. Um, and I've one, been trying to use it. So I so I went through you know I was going through some um, like sample applications, and you know you can either get I mean, you can either use a text editor if you want that's fine. Um, You're but doing there, your to do app list, your to do app. No, I don't even know what I don't that's remember. The what it was hell, that's the new hell of world these days is a to do app. Well, it's not new. I think that's been that became the the hello world for like web frameworks. Is what it, really what it what it was. Yeah. It's like what is what is a what is this to do. L- list application with these very specific and limited requirements, what does it look like in all these different web frameworks? But 
um, you know, you can start, you can use uh, Visual, what's it called? Visual Studio Code or Code Studio? What's it, Visual what Studio it? Code, okay. which I'm, I, I like and I can't wait for Mavens. I don't have to, it. I, I can't wait for Mavens to release their plugin for that. For Visual Studio Code? Mm-hmm. Oh, Mavens made. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they also have plugins for some other editors. I think there's probably well, there's probably IntelliJ. I think they're all. Uh, oh, okay. And they're from Microsoft. At least yeah. okay. So I use I installed the Sublime Text plugin, and it's from Microsoft. I am amazed at this TypeScript plugin for Sublime. I mean, it. This is the this is the most intelligent plugin I've. I didn't know this was possible in Sublime. It is basically, and I don't. And again, it reminds me like, why can't Salesforce do this? It's it is real. It is. Code checking and running a compiler and a linter and everything real time, in real time you know analysis and and it's not just it's not just pattern matching or whatever it's like lex it's like lexing and building ASTs and analyzing your whole code and to see if you've you're you're you're, you're trying to use a type that hasn't been defined yet or right. you've misspelled something or, or whatever it, and it's just immediate I'm like wow I didn't even know this was possible in Sublime Text so that's super impressive I wonder if so Visual Studio Code is actually based on Atom, which itself was kind of based on Sublime. Which Although I, think I don't think they used the code, did they? Else. Did they use no, the code I, from Sublime? I don't know if they used the Sublime code. Sublime is closed source, right? I don't remember. I thought there, I thought it was open source and there was a fork of it. I don't think so. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, I think, well, what was the one we used before Sublime? Um, TextMate. TextMate's closed sourced and Sublime is closed sourced. The strawberry. I keep forgetting the strawberry. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, is that, was that Text Wrangler? Or no. No. Text Wrangler has a rope. The strawberry one, that, that would, that's a, I mean, it's, it's great for what it is, but it's very simple text editor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I loved it. I remember loving it. Before I found Sublime, and then I moved to the Atom Electron world, and then Visual Studio Code. Yeah. So, you know, last week when we talked about the fact that you guys are not going to upgrade your his and her iPhones. Right. Yeah, that kind of uh, backlashed against me. Caught some backlash. Yeah, because right? apparently my wife occasionally listens. Because I talked about how I ordered a new phone. <laughs> apparently, apparently she she occasionally listens and caught that part. Of, of course, the was, one episode she's going to listen to is the one, one where you exactly. talked about it. And she was really pissed that like I didn't order her an iPhone. I'm like, if you want an iPhone, just order an iPhone. That's fine. It's just she's she's on her third iPhone six. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those was not her fault because it was defective. But anyway, she's on her third one, and it's it's maybe a year old, and like the battery is. Fine. Like my my big problem right now is my phone. Like yeah, last night I'm in the airport and I took it off battery and I watched it jump from 65% to 25% instantaneously. Like the battery is just it's hose. Like something's terribly wrong with it. It's not even this that it's it's on the tail end of its life. It's like something is malfunctioning with it. And so I'm you know I'm in, so you're saying that there's a defect, but rather than just fix it, you want the new phone. Well, it would cost me what 200 bucks. I mean, what how do you fix it? I, I would. I would. Assume I don't want to put any money in this phone. I would assume a battery issue is covered, but I, I don't know. Well, it's way out of warranty. It's way out of warranty. I don't have Apple Care. It seems like that's the case with these phones. They talk about battery life and everything with these phones, but it seems like once you get within the two-year window, battery degradation happens quickly. The, these, this is this is again. This is the problem with everything, whether it's battery cars or phones or anything else. It's lithium-ion technology, which has not gotten has not. Had like dramatic improvements in decades, and these batteries only have so much of a lifetime. That's why I was trying to keep like my laptop on power because there's only so many cycles that that battery ha- has in its useful life. 
And it's just, it's going to go at some point. But what I don't understand is I baby this battery. I oh, look at this. I mean, my phone is always on power. So, yeah. I don't know. But I mean, you can get just, maybe it's just a somewhat defective battery, but it's it's so far out of warranty though. That can't, I'm not, and I'm not going to put any money into this phone. So, right. I'm not going to get it repaired. But Plus uh, shiny new things. That's always fun. I thought you would think that was funny. Hey, so, uh, John, <laughs> Salesforce has, has deemed, deemed it to be true. That demandware is now called the is now is now the Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Okay, <laughs> sure, <laughs> fully integrated. I don't believe that part. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'll let you call it yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was funny. Uh, now, let's see what so, else. So, do you think we'll get a bunch of renaming stuff? Do you think we'll still have clouds? Do you think we'll start going? Still, do you think, still think we'll have lightning? I think they'll start Einsteining everything. I mean, that's a problem with they've they've done a significant investment in Einstein. They have a bunch of characters. They have a bunch of advertising. They have a whole new marketing thing push around Einstein. It wouldn't surprise me if they'd started dropping lightning and calling everything Einstein. Especially if they're paying for it, right? Paying for the license in the yeah. name. I'm assuming, right? They're, they're, it's being used with permission. Well, it, but it, it, you made me think of something a minute ago, though, which is. And anytime you jump onto one of these bandwagons of like um, some naming trend or just even some technology trend or a fashion trend, when you, if you marry when you marry yourself to that, at some point it actually starts to seem lame. Like, um, can't think of an example, but at well, some point, I mean, Salesforce as a name, do you, do you think they would want to go it? back in time and no. not call themselves Salesforce? Oh, sure. Assuming sure. you know, knowing now that they would have this platform that actually does more than just CRM Salesforce. I mean, the name served them well for a long time, but it's. It's a little pigeonholing right now. It's right. You know, it's well, not. I mean, I, I thought whenever and their, and their ticker symbol is CRM. Yeah. Right. Which is that that they hate tied, that. that pigeonholes them. They hate that because that they can't <laughs> stop saying. They can't stop reminding. They they can't ever stop reminding people that they're not just a CRM company. But it's possible to change it. I mean, Google is now Alphabet. Well, they're still Goog. They're still Goog on the stock, right? Actually, they're Goog and Google. I don't, I don't. That's confusing to me. Well, Goog is their stock ticker, right? Or is there is there an Alphabet? Do they like change a, it? There's like a Goog and there's a Google and there's Alphabet. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I'm confused. I but know. I remember looking them up at one point and saw that there was two entries and it was Goog and Google or something like that. I don't remember. Did I tell you about my snafu with sandboxes and professional edition? I think I did. Oh, right? you should, told me about it, but you haven't. That, yeah. You haven't told the so, the world about it. So yet. at some point. And I, I hardly ever do PE org, so this is one of the that you know, you know they have sandboxes now, right? And I think they get like 10, 10 sandboxes. Of course, they're they're what are they called? Developer sandboxes. So they you know they're about this big, you know. Yeah. Um, but this is someone I I know who I won't name was I thought oh great I'll um this this. Org is already in production. They've been using Salesforce for years. So what I'll do is I'll just create a sandbox, do my work there, all the changes, and then when we're done, we'll we'll change set these over to production, or you know, worst case, get get someone to do um, like a metadata package and deploy it into, into production. Right. So they're at the point where like, okay, all this work is done, weeks of work, and tested everything. We're ready to yeah, go. Yeah, ready to go. Go to uh, start building the change set. No change sets. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, can't find the change set. That's weird. So we need, to, we need to turn that on somehow? Or, Well, hey, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and just uh, take a look and see if you can just deploy this via the metadata API for me. Oh, sure. So go looking and, of course, you know, it's professional. So I know they don't have the SOAP API, but I'm like, well, maybe if they have a sandbox, maybe they actually have the metadata API too. Because, I mean, what if you don't have change sets, 
and you don't have the metadata API or the tooling API or any of these things, well, what, what is the point of having a sandbox? Right. I mean, I really don't understand the point of it. Th- there isn't. It's, it's a dead end. Right. It's like, hey, come this way. It's great over here. And everyone goes over there, and it's like, then it's, uh, it's a dead end, and they, you know, they blow you up. Right. And that's exactly what happened. We got blown up. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Salesforce. Because you couldn't deploy anything. Yeah. So all that work had to be manually. I mean, we could have actually, we could have asked Salesforce to open the metadata API, but we didn't have time for it. So it was, it was all manually redone in production. Wow. Yep. So that's just a, that's a PSA. <laughs> it, it, it seems like at the very least, sure, don't, don't enable the metadata API, but at least enable chain sets so that you can kind of test things, do things, and then deploy it. I mean, it's, it's, it's being a good steward of your system, right? Yes. That's right. Oh, um, Salesforce had a blog post. Um, just one? Yeah, just one. They, just, it's, they wow. do one a year. Cool. <clears throat> and this one, this year's, was called Three Salesforce Podcasts You Should Be Subscribed To. <laughs> so I don't, this, this I, is an Ask John. <laughs> John, do you think that Salesforce recommends people to listen to the Good Day Sir podcast? I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> I don't think we're their cup of tea. So they listed the Marketing Cloudcast, which... Which they own. They own, okay. The, the Button Click Admin Podcast, which... Which just they own. Total coincidence. They just <laughs> happen to own that one too now. Just a coincidence they own. And then one called The Quotable Podcast, hmm. which I don't think they own. I've never even heard of it. It says it's best for, colon... Sales professionals and sales leaders who want to learn from the best and sell like the best. Oh, so it's a sales uh, sell, focus. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, yeah. Well, we're developer-focused, so they, they don't care about us. Yeah. They care about marketing, admins, and selling. Right. That's... They don't care about developers. Yes, that's correct. They do care about... It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to $10 billion. Developers built it. All right, let's see. What do I have for... What else do I have? Um, did you make anything of the Cisco Microsoft or Cisco Salesforce no, announcement? I, 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 I didn't really understand it. I, I was trying to figure out: is this just one of those you? And I kind of like the. Do, you, do we remember the Salesforce Microsoft partnership on Internet of Things from last year at mm-hmm. Dreamforce? I mean, it's just one of the was, and maybe they had some intentions of actually doing something, but it was pretty much just a PR play for both sides. Yeah. Microsoft was trying to, at that time still trying to promote when I think it was Windows Phone, right? Because Nadella had a big Windows Phone fail on stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's how. I, okay. So the Cisco and Salesforce plan to work together to integrate their platforms focused on, among other things, customer service and the Internet of Things, a nascent field connecting everyday items such as light bulbs to the web. <laughs> so they're, they're going to integrate their platforms that are focused on customer service and IoT. Okay. Cisco said the move would, quote, eliminate the friction users experience today, unquote. And Salesforce said it would, quote, simplify the customer experience, unquote. What would? I, I, don't, I don't... I don't understand any I, These are just, these are big nothing burgers. Examples, we got examples. Examples of the collaboration between Cisco and Salesforce include customers being able to communicate over chat or video without having to toggle between apps. Huh? <laughs> We already have. We can do that already. As well as a fleet of. This is even more bizarre. I mean, we are into woo. <laughs> we are into weirdo land here, crazy land. As well as a fleet of Cisco connected trucks being able to pass data to the Salesforce cloud. John, huh? Is am I having the most 
epic of brain farts ever? Or does that, does that not make any sense whatsoever? Well, read it again. One more time. Slowly. Okay. Slowly. Like, like really slow. <laughs> Examples of the collaboration between Cisco and Salesforce include customers being able to communicate over chat or video without having to toggle between apps, as well as a fleet of Cisco-connected trucks being able to pass data to the Salesforce cloud. Uh, I still don't get it. No, it just this is the most bizarro press release I've ever seen. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to get it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe it's like this, which is, yeah. I totally accept that. Maybe Ooh, the case, it's just, right over my head. I don't get yeah. it. Maybe it's something to do with crazy router technology that I don't understand. Hmm. Doesn't Cisco do routers? I don't know what they do anymore, I guess. They do more than routers. I guess they do those video conferencing systems that companies spend like uh, 50 grand on and they never Nobody use because it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my, the last big enterprise company, I remember they installed that. They had a room. There was a sign-up sheet and everything, and it was never used. Yeah. Actually, no, I lie. It was used, just not for video conferencing. <laughs> well, John, what else? You had other things you wanted to talk about. Uh, well, you stole my thunder on a lot of them. I mean, so Google rebranded you know, Google Apps. I guess it was Google Apps as the G Suite. Oh, I didn't hear about that. The G Suite? Okay, what rock have you been living under? Um, I only consume Salesforce news and everything else is... It's blocked? Yeah. You have it blocked. If it doesn't contain the word Salesforce, block. Yeah. <laughs> it, it happened when, it, when I became an MVP. I was like, nope, this is my yeah, thing you're now. dedicated. This is it. Yep. No. I do have All other right. stuff. So, but I, I have some rants. I, I, I have some rants. All right. So um, you don't want to talk about the G Suite. Okay, that's fine. Well, I don't know anything about it. That's old news. It happened three days ago. It's old news. Uh, I guess they're renaming Google Apps to... Oh no, they're they're renaming Google the Google Apps for Work. So they, it was used to be called Google Apps for Your Domain, right? It's it's when a company signs up on for they're rebranding it. That's called the G Suite. Sounds oh yes, TechCrunch says sounds more hip, right? <laughs> it sounds kind of gross. Um, G Suite. They, also, a note uh, they noted a handful of upgrades and improvements in G Suite's existing product lineup. Um, yeah, which includes this is what includes drives, docs, spreadsheets, slides, calendar, hangouts, and more. What were the improvements? That's what I wanted to know more about. I don't know. A smart reply feature in Inbox, instant translation, and and photo recognition. See, that's where, I mean, these things can get cool, actually. Sure. Um, For what? Oh, I don't know. Just wasting time. I can get face recognition to log myself in. There you go. I don't know. Yeah. I saw some, I saw some article talking about how they, they had some... Um, some features that we're actually going to give that kind of were all over Quip's territory. Hmm. What was Quip's claim to fame? That Just the collaboration, right? Uh, live docs collaboration, Live-docs. yeah. Well, right, what's your, since, what's since you did a throwaway, I'm going to do a throwaway. Google um, is uh, starting a live, uh, I'm sorry, a ride-sharing program. Remind me to tell you about Waze's that I heard about. That's it's maybe what's, what's called, Waze. Um, Waze's. Do you not know about Waze? No. Okay, so this is an app that many of us have been using for years. You've been using Waze ride sharing? I've been using Waze for years. The ride sharing feature is a new addition to Waze. Oh, okay. Well, so, I just read well, that. Okay, so uh, to I, me, it was all new. I'd never heard no, of Waze. No, so uh, I was like, uh, Alphabet Inc.'s Google is. So probably a lot of people sharing. don't know what Waze is, but it's. Um, it's they, they were bought by Google about a year or two ago, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's a. Oh, is that that app? It's you a directions used to... app. Yes. Oh, it, yeah. That's your wormhole, isn't it? It is my wormhole. That's how you do it. Damn it. I knew you'd find out. Damn it. 
That's my wormhole. I found your That's wormhole. That's how I get I found faster. Jeremy's wormhole. Because Waze will find the weirdest, most like ingenuitive, is that the word? Ingenuitive? Maybe. Way to get somewhere. Creative way. But it's also very social driven. So if there's like a tire in the in the street. Does that happen highway, often? Junk in the street or cars just, that are that are in stuck that are um stuck on the side of the road or cops or whatever people you can report all these things and you it's a it's a game it's like a social thing so you get you know you get points for reporting things you get points for like it, you know it'll say hey there's a there's an object in the road up ahead and you can either say oh yeah there was there or no it wasn't there and they use that to keep the data really clean so if some you know if the if there's some trash on the road but it gets moved then you also obviously want that alert to go away but it's, it works really well i hope this is voice assisted i mean are people actually it driving is. and going nope i passed this spot the cop isn't th- oh crap I, there's an accident now because i just rammed into someone well Waze actually doesn't allow you to use it if you're moving unless you say that you're the passenger which no one ev- ever does i'm sure unless they actually are the passenger <laughs> <laughs> but no they have they no they do it is voice you can do a voice totally voice driven thing it works pretty well all but right. no, they added, yeah, and, and, and I think it's only in San Francisco right now. It is, but they limited it. So I, I, at first, whenever I thought, oh, we'll be able to say, hey, you guys, you got Uber, Lyft, and now you've got Google being able to give you guys rides around town. So get to the Good Day Sir podcast uh, happy hour. But Waze isn't providing any cars or anything. They're just helping people who want to share rides together, coordinate. Like someone's got a car. But and they're like, limiting it. So, Did you read that? Well, what kind of limiting? So they're only going to limit it to two rides per day. And the intent is that you'll is really just to kind of get a ride to work and ride home. And they're limiting both drivers and riders to two a day. And it's it's extremely discounted. You can't make a living off of it. So uh, this is extremely oh, money pilot. involved? Well, that's what it said. That it's extremely limited and everything. So I drivers it, okay. and riders will not be able to make any money off this. I right. I, uh, yeah, I think. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think their their intent is to try to move into that kind of Uber market, but... Maybe they're just trying it out because they're going to stick a bunch of um, drive driverless cars out there to to drive you around, which would be kind of cool. How would you feel about that? If you Ubered a car or wazed a car and it showed up and it didn't have a driver, how would you feel about that? Well, I don't think that happens right now, so I don't think I have to worry about that. I'm just asking. I mean, the future of the technology is good. Would it be fine cool? With me. Would you be like, yeah, this is kind of cool? I mean... Dude, the sharing economy, this Uber and driving for Lyft, that's a way that ha- the, our unemployment rate would be 15% right now if it wasn't for that. Now now we're going to kill all those jobs by by uh, Uber and Lyft going into the driverless car business. So, I don't know. Who's going to hand me my bottle of water? You know, I wish these guys would like trick out their cars and like theme them. So you'd like, someone would drive up, it looks like a boat, but it's a car, and you get in. <laughs> That would make it fun. That would yeah. be that would make getting a ride fun. They hand you a hat and a pirate pirate patch. It'd be like arg. So since we're kind of on the eve of Dreamforce here, <clears throat> I was actually looking at Salesforce's stock chart over the past year, and I noticed so last year's Dreamforce is like October fifth or something like that. And so at Dreamforce last year, Salesforce's stock price is like right around seventy five bucks, and today it's around seventy one. Huh. It's been a very flat flat year. It's a very, uh, it's um, it's a word of growing pain. Where it's definitely growing pains. Well, better flat than down. And I feel like management has really been testing the waters on what they can get, a, how far, how hard they can push on acquisitions. Uh-huh. Um, you know, adding new product again, pushing the the 
uh, the foregoing profit for growth. And again, it's the whole key is if you can keep growing, if you can, you know, but as soon, like I've always said, as soon as they just, man, if they miss expect, they haven't missed expectations yet. I mean, their stock took a hit this last time because they didn't raise expectations enough, mm-hmm. right? So, they, I mean, they still are pushing really hard, but I feel like they're they're a little bit of an inflection point where they're going to have to change something. They're either going to have to stop the growth for for at all costs, right? The growth at all costs. Um, or really figure out how to bend that cost curve, you know, start to leverage right. leverage their their investments and assets, and 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 turn that dial, move that needle a little bit on profit, because it's getting to the point where the stock market's like, yeah, we've been giving you a lot of credit over the past few years, and we're getting we're getting a little tired of it. We're getting a little tired of it, and that's what their year to date chart shows, I think. But maybe they'll have some great announcements. Well, they've already announced the great announcement. It's Einstein. Yeah, there's there's nothing. I saw that some parts of Einstein will be free. Well, they'll oh free free. They'll be included in your existing editions of Salesforce that are have recently gotten more expensive. <laughs> if you've renewed recently, you'll know this. <laughs> and and you have to be on Lightning. Yeah, it's yeah <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, all right, so my rant. Um, I, well, this one's not a rant. This one's just a. An experience. No, this is a rent. This is a rent. I'm going to forego the experience. I, I got to use the account contact relationship object. Did you know you could do that? I didn't know you could do that. It must have happened it's in a new. release, and I, I kind of like glossed over it because I didn't think I'd ever need it. But then a client said, I need to do this. And I'm like, well, it's oh, either, oh, yeah, it's there either, is a way to do that. I remember. It's either new in winter 17 or it was new in summer 16. It, it's new. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's kind of weird in its implementation because now you have two different related lists to deal with. And you just you kind of forego one for the other, basically, when you're in that mode. It might have been better for to, to have one list of contacts, and the, one of them. And and sorry, no, let me think about this. Okay, when you're looking at a contact, mm-hmm. you can see the accounts it's associated with, but one of them is like their primary or like employer account or whatever. Right, but from the account level, you can see all the related contacts. Well, you can see all the contacts that that are associated to it. And then you can see all the contacts that are related to it, sep- which includes list, right? Though well, it actually includes the contacts from from that are associated the, to the it, the direct relation, ones? right? The direct relation, or what they're calling the primary relationship. Okay. So if you have a contact with an account ID, that account becomes its primary contact, and then you can, of course, include it in these others. And it's an easy solution. You just get rid of the original contact related list and show only the related contact list. God, that sound that's hard to say. You know, and this, I'm not exactly sure what problems this solves, but I know, and I don't remember the details, but I did a, a project a while back. It was a, it was a communities-oriented project, but mm-hmm. we had to create our own, basically, like, custom object that was like a linking object between right. accounts and contacts to create this type of thing where you could say, yeah, this contact, yes, they are under this account, but they're also tightly associated to these other accounts, and we needed to know that. And I think the reason we had to do a custom object for it versus using contact roles it's because we needed. I'm, I'm, I think this is why we needed to do. We needed triggers on that custom object, mm. and I don't think you can have triggers on contact roles. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you can have contact but, triggers on but this. But what role. does this? What does this new feature get you over contact roles? Because contact roles do just that. They associate a contact to other accounts besides its own account, right? Isn't that what contact roles do? Now, you do have to pick a role, which maybe you don't want to pick. You, know, actually, you don't even have to pick a role on contact roles, do you? 
I don't know. I think this, this has the same concept as well, though. There's a role associated to it that you can choose. But I think that's more just data than anything. I mean, if we were any good at Salesforce, we'd probably know this. <laughs> no, I haven't used that feature Either way, yet. it solved the problem nicely. So I was, yeah. I was happy it was there. I was happy to be able to use it. Um, but it did solve it in a way that contact roles would not have. I mean, that's what I don't get. Why would you not have just used contact roles for that? Do contact I, roles not show up? I don't... Um, maybe they don't this, show up. This kind of made it seem seamless in that... Okay. We could get rid of the original contact-related list. We can blow it away because whatever is related to that contact does show up in that related contact list automatically. Right. In fact, when I turned the feature on, there was entries in it. I was like, well, why is there entries in it? And then I realized it's all the contacts that were related to the account directly, you know, through the parent-child relationship. Um, and so it just made things cleaner to be able to take off that related list and show this one related list and, and go. Yeah. So it, it solved our need. It solved it nicely, and it, I was I was happy it was there. So hmm. that was nice. Uh, my rant, however, is um, is it, have you ever used that action plan thing on the Salesforce Labs? No, I, I've seen it so many times. It seems to be pretty common with a lot of the customers that that I interact with. Um, they've they've installed this action plan thing. It came from Salesforce Labs. It's this tool that lets you kind of create this. You sound like you're very impressed with this product. <laughs> Based on the look on your face. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> okay, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. And I don't I don't know how my rant, I don't know how this is gonna be taken, but the code is crap. The way it's written is crap. The way it's implemented is crap. The unit testing for it is crap. In fact, when we run unit testing, it takes forever. They they made an attempt to do a bunch of bulk testing and everything for this with this thing, which was stupid. I, I know at the time this was written. You're supposed to bulk test a lot of this stuff, but I've gotten to the point where because unit tests are so slow, I have a switch for bulk testing. I do too. <laughs> I, do I, I have too. a constant that says, I'm going to do 200, 300, 500, 1,000 records for this bulk test. And then once I'm done, I'm going, okay, I'm going to knock this back down to one or 10. Where is that switch? It's, it's in code, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be it's in a code. constant. Yeah. yeah I just put sucks. a constant that says how many records I want to bulk test. And I'll, I'll increase it or decrease it depending on if I'm ready for production. Because otherwise, it just takes way too long depending on what object you're interacting with, right. especially like, like an opportunity object that has a, a bunch of stuff attached to it. It takes a while. Um, and, and so this thing does a bunch of stuff. So everything takes forever to run these tests. Mm. On top of it, it swallows exceptions. Yeah. It swallows it in favor of saying, pre-deployed test failed. This may be because of custom validation rules in your org. You can check, ignore Apex errors, or temporarily deactivate your validation rules for blah, 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 and try again. B.S. That sent me down a wrong path because I thought it was a validation rule error, and it wasn't. It was right. a DML exception, and I spent a ton of time, and then I went to look at the code to see what this thing was doing, and it, every single one of its objects was swallowing errors, and it pissed me off. Yeah. Well, we talked, we've talked about those... Salesforce Labs projects before. The worst thing is when someone says, oh, we want something that's, uh, this is what we want, and we found this lab product that's really similar, so we would just like you to install the Labs uh, package and then just uh, you know, change it and customize it to, to do what we want to do. I'm like, and I look at the code, and I'm like, nah, not going to yeah. happen. And here, Here's my take on the Salesforce Although Labs. Although I, I, I actually have not seen code that was you know, real terrible in the Salesforce labs. I've, I've seen a couple really? of Really? Well, I have. I, I'm sure Everywhere. it's probably across the L board. Look at the community templates. Look at the idea exchange. When that came out, that was a lab install. 
the code was everywhere. It was crap. Yeah. Look, look at the site <clears throat> install that gets installed on every one of your orgs with all the 404 and the, the exceptions and all that kind of crappy-ass code that gets defaulted oh, you into your org. should see some of the community's code that gets... And that's another thing. Like, you enable communities, all of a sudden it drops all these classes. I don't want that things. stuff. Well, yeah. I can build that on my own. I don't want your crap. Yeah. And honestly, there should... Uh, I, I feel like um, no one should be able to allow to just dump... Salesforce should not dump code into your org. Um, there should be like, okay, if you want some sample code, put it on GitHub or something, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but don't create a bunch of classes in my org without my explicit permission. I mean, at least, on, at least when you install a package, you know you're installing a package, right? This is just enabling a feature in Salesforce. It doesn't, it doesn't even tell you. that You'll just notice later, oh my God, look at all these, all these classes got put yeah. in here. <clears throat> so, well, my other issue is that a lot of times clients will see this and go, "Oh, there's something out there from Salesforce that does this," and they'll install it, and then they'll want us to modify it, like you said. But it's not something I want to modify. It's not something I want to own and have to debug and test. It, I just don't. Yeah. It's poorly written. It's not written the way I want. It's not written in the way that I can maintain it easily. Um, my take on Salesforce Labs is these are kind of part-time projects. This is someone in Salesforce who decided to build something and put it out there and see if it worked. It, it's not a dedicated team, from what I understand, that sits there and says, oh, there's some, there's some gaps in the system. We can make a lab out of it, and we're going to build quality stuff for the people. No, and I'm sure the people that work on that lab stuff, I mean, that, these are probably positions that people come and go all the time. So it's, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. You're prob there's probably labs products that are pretty well built. There's probably ones that are poorly built and everything in between. I mean, it's... In, it, in a world hey. where, where we weren't restricted on limits, on statements, on on trigger execution, fine. I don't care about your ugly you know code. What? You should just... But in a world where we have to be extremely efficient, I know you're looking at me, in a world where we have to be extremely yeah. efficient, it pisses me off that there's crappy code getting put in the system that I now have to deal with. I have to work around. In a world... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You should ask... You should demand a refund. <laughs> oh, I just, I just gotta, for, I gotta make my case better with clients and yeah. saying, yeah, don't put that in there. I can build it for you. But here, that's the thing. It costs money. And when they're, when they're, when they see something that, that kind of does what they want and it probably works, but they, it needs to be tweaked a little bit. And they want me to spend like five hours tweaking it. And it's technically possible for me to do, but I know in the long run, it's going to suck. And that's what's happening in the long run. It sucks. In the long run, it causes issues. Isn't, in the long run, there's certain things that, I have to work isn't around. Isn't that kind of a microcosm of this whole thing we I work know, in? I know. It's just the way it works. I, I, I'm going to continue my rant, by the way. Okay. I'm going to get into app exchange installs. So there's this application that, that we installed recently. It, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it because people will pick up on what it is. But the, it, it has certain things built into it that do certain things, and it does it in a way that impacts my other code. But beyond that, I can work around that. I can modify my code and, and not do things a certain way because it's going to trigger this thing. And I'll get into the whole chain of not being able to execute a batch because that's going to want to execute a batch. And it wasn't written in a way that bypassed executing batches because it's already in a batch context, whatever. Or in a future context. That's another issue. Pisses me off. Batches should not have to check whether they're in a batch. That, that's my real problem with that. But futures are also the same thing. I... It, you know, you have to, if because of the way Salesforce is and, the, and, and things like that, you have to check if it's in a future context. Now you have to check if it's in a cubable context, I believe. And you have to check if it's a batch, batchable context because otherwise it'll throw an error saying you're trying to do something you're not supposed to do. So it, it, depending on how these things are implemented, they're trying to not make the user wait for things or their big processes and have to be batched. 
but Salesforce kind of penalizes you for that. You know, if you have a complicated system that's trying to do all these different things at once and trying to be good stewards of the system and run them in the background and not make the user wait, you run into all this complexity and these issues. So what you end up doing is you say, screw it, I can't trust that I'm going to be able to do this asynchronously. I'm going to do it synchronously and the user's going to have to wait. Which is horrible. It sucks. Yeah. But anyways. Well, you know, that's just like uh, <laughs> your opinion, man. Well, that's how I feel. Anyways, the other thing is, and this is what I want to get your input on, it installs record types onto one of my standard objects. Ooh. And it installs validation rules onto one of my standard objects. And because I didn't have validation, because I didn't have record types on that object to begin with, it also set one of its record types as the default. Wow. I mean, it probably and that broke it probably says a bunch in a doc, of stuff. It probably says that it installs. You can look at what's in something to see if it has record types, right? I, I didn't mean, install it. Someone else did. Oh. They just said, "Sure, we want this. We paid for this. Yeah, install. install. Get it now." So I don't know. I, I don't think. I don't think applications from the App Exchange should be modifying standard objects. I think they should be strictly stick stick to. Standard objects. However, I guess there's edge cases where they might have to do that because they're augmenting something about yeah, an account. I mean, they're they're improving your CRM system, which is all about accounts and leads but and this opportunities. This thing installed and, three record types. Yeah, it installed a bunch of validation rules, and it and and those those validation rules did not check for the record type context. They were just global contact validation rules. On top of it, there was other validation rules within the code and triggers that kind of broke some things, but. It was all things that broke a bunch of stuff. And even though we did this in a sandbox, unfortunately, none of us had foresight to run all tests after installing this application. So it, my imparting of wisdom to anyone who's testing an application and installs it into your sandbox, please, please, please remember to run all tests because we didn't. We forgot to. Mm. It got into production just fine. And how did it get into production? Because... <laughs> because you can now selectively install which test to freaking yeah, run. Which, you know what, I still I still don't use that feature. And in order to That's get more code into it, I had to do the same damn thing you, as, a, as a stopgap. You don't know which tests that you don't need to run. I know, you don't. I, 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 I liked it at first because I was like, yes, it takes too long to run all tests, and I know this works. But the reality is, the reality is those tests are there for a reason. The regression testing is there for a reason. Exactly. And and being able to selectively choose tests to run or not run means you're not doing a real regression. You're basically right. saying, screw it, my stuff is more important than anything else. Right. It's like, oh, huh, you think you think you know which tests need to run? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, and on top of it, I spent like a weekend dealing with this. I spent a Saturday, hours on my Saturday, hours on my Sunday dealing with this, and that that, of course, further pissed me off. Mm. I wasn't expecting to do that. I was expecting to monitor the deployment. I wasn't expecting to have to debug the deployment. Yeah. All right. So before we go, um, I've just got a couple of notices. Um, next week is Dreamforce. If you're going to Dreamforce, let John buy you a drink. Yeah. Come on. Spend um, my money for me. They've already decided where this is. So we're, there's going to be a good day, sir. Happy hour at Dreamforce. It's going to be at the Monk's Kettle on Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30. It's about, they say it's about a 15-minute ride via BART. Oh, wait. You can get two drinks for free. John's going to buy you the first drink, and Jay is going to buy you the second drink. Wow. Right. Holy cow. <laughs> I, I might see if I can book a flight to San Francisco. 
And uh, Jay says he will be wearing his Good Day Sir shirt. So if you know what our logo looks like, you can find him in the crowd. He, uh, he Well, so I sent him a box of some pins. So there's a limited number, but you might be able to get a little Good Day Sir pin that you can put on your little <laughs> lanyard while, while supplies last. While supplies last. And even Sean said he might have something and for I, people showing up. I, and I would assume it's still a good idea if you want to, if you think you might go, go to, um, go sign up. Just because I think, you know, if more people come at the last minute, you know, we may need to notify the venue or something. So go to Jay's website and, and sign up. Um, it's www.jonsoftware.com slash GDS, as in good day, sir. So that should be fun. I mean, that I'm, I'm kind of sad I'm going to miss that. <clears throat> Would that be the only reason to go? Is the, is the it's uh, a damn good reason to go. That you and Jay are, <laughs> would buy me drinks. I buy you drinks all the time. Hey, free about. alcohol. I'm there. <laughs> yes, we know. <laughs> also, uh, we hey, we have a review. You said I, we do, and in fact, I was gonna I was gonna mention that we should at, at very okay. least let me let, get this review, review out. Let's do the review. Let's do it. Um, so this one, the the title of the review is very entertaining, and it's by Franny. I okay. don't know who Franny is. I don't either. Uh, won't miss this podcast for anything. The Four Roses single barrel mentioned turned out to be my new favorite bourbon. Nice. Woohoo. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I always gain new industry insights and the depth of the technology discussions by our hosts. A no bullshit. <laughs> you know you know what they meant. <laughs> A no bullshit podcast. <laughs> Highly recommended. So thank you for any. Th- they were trying to save me the trouble of having to edit that out. Yeah. So thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Thanks, Franny. All right. So I will put a survey out to see if we if if someone can break the tie on recording next week for us. Okay. Uh, so thanks for the review. Um, leave us a review. It helps. I was asking for those reviews. I know I am. Um, but more importantly, tell your friends. Tweet tweet about the show. Uh, blogs are good. Mention us in your blog and put a link because uh, that helps the Google thing too. Right? Yeah. We're trying to grow this thing. So we're, we're going to try to double our profits next year. <laughs> <laughs> X times zero. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to double them because it's a negative number and you double a negative and you just get a bigger negative number. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Actually, I am thinking about doubling our negative here soon. Oh my gosh, John. John's just throwing money. I got John, ideas. This is, this I, is got John. A, I got ideas. This is John. <laughs> And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Enterprise customers trust the vendors that take them out to dinner.